0: Dad. He's not actively stabbing me. What a nice guy.
1: <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Front End Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. They also have a terrific backlog of courses you can watch including JavaScript good parts, build web applications with Node.js, AngularJS in depth, And advanced JavaScript. You can go check them out at frontendmasters.com. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $1,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jabberlink, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScriptJabber. Let's face it, bookkeeping is hard and it's not really what you're good at anyway. Bench.co is the online bookkeeping service that pairs you with a team of dedicated bookkeepers who use simple, elegant software to do your bookkeeping for you. Check it out at Bench.co slash JavaScriptJabber for 20% off today. They focus on what matters most, and that's why they're there. Once again, that's bench.co slash javascriptjabber. This episode is sponsored by Wrangle.io. Wrangle's been working with Angular 2 for a long time, and they are now putting together an eight-hour, two-day course designed to help Angular developers learn how to write apps in Angular 2. If you're looking to level up your JavaScript and Angular 2 skills, then go to wrangle.io slash training and click on the link for Angular 2 training. If you're looking for other training in React or JavaScript, they also have that available at wrangle.io slash training. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 219 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Jameson Dance. Hello, friends. Amy Knight. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Quick shout out about Newbies Remote Conf coming up July 13th through 15th. Uh, You get tickets. It's online, so you can attend from anywhere. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amy, aren't you speaking at that? I am. And
2: I'm also like, I don't know, I checked the website last week, and I'm really excited about the other people speaking.
1: Yeah, it's a really solid lineup. I'm really excited. So this week, we're going to talk about what it takes to learn JavaScript in 2016.
0: Yeah, so maybe um, some context for why I think this topic is interesting. I learned JavaScript not in 2016. It wasn't super long ago, but but it was several years ago. And I feel like when I learned it, there were a lot fewer things to learn about javascript just the language itself and also fewer things to learn about the ecosystem around javascript like node wasn't a thing it, w- it was basically like jquery and and that was kind of it and nowadays the language itself is more complex there's a lot more features and then there's this whole gigantic pile of other stuff like you have to learn a framework you have to learn all the frameworks all the frameworks because you have to be able to pick one and know which one is right and you have to learn node and then you can run it on hardware and then there's all this transpilation stuff and all this tooling around it and it just feels like it's way larger than than when I learned it and I don't know what that experience is like for someone who's brand new to it but I I assume that it's kind of intimidating because there's so much stuff whereas before you could just kind of learn the semantics and syntax of the language, and then the rest of it would get added over time as the community evolved. Does that make sense? Yeah.
1: The other thing that I want to just pile on with is that the resources for learning JavaScript back when I was learning it were also different. And I mean, I was learning it pre Node.js. So I mean, I was just doing web development with it. And it wasn't this major platform. It was just something that you kind of tacked on to your server-side stuff, and then as it grew into something else, it's, okay, pick up this, pick up that, as it all kind of came out, as opposed to somebody now coming in, and like you said, Jameson, now you have to pick up all this other stuff. But beyond that, we have people coming in from boot camps, we have people coming in from, I mean, even from CS degrees, where they may or may not teach them JavaScript. We've got people coming in, learning off of, like, code school or... Khan Academy or something like that and then basically joining the field and joining the workforce without any real, you know, regimented training or if they have it, it may be a boot camp for a few months instead of college for a few years.
2: So how I would chime in too, on top of all this, I feel like there are so many resources and there are so many things to learn. But when you're new, if you're learning JavaScript, not just learning it, but as your first language, probably don't have the context to understand why the things you're learning are there and why they're important. And I feel like a huge struggle is without that, like things don't stick. So you're just kind of like copying and pasting and gluing things together without a bigger understanding. Mm-hmm. So.
1: Yeah. so so when you are picking it up, I mean, what are you gluing together? Are you building little sort of basic projects? Are you picking up a framework and saying, well, I'm just going to make this work and learn what I can in the context of Angular or React and then moving ahead? I mean, what are people doing today?
2: So I feel like the advice that I see out there is pick something like, I don't know, the advice I give people is pick something because it sounds interesting to you. But then people, you know, will pull numbers off of Google or something like that, which can be misleading and pick what they're going to learn based on that. But still, it's like, I don't know, there is no like clear black and white answer of how you get the experience to get the context to know, you know, why you're using what you're using. I don't know where you get that from (laughs) other than just experience and struggling through it. And you're you're just building like to answer your question even in just like Node or Express or something like a basic to-do app that hooks up to Mongo or hooks up to Firebase and, you know, render some stuff on a page and maybe you have some animations. But I don't know, until you get to like a big project, it's really hard to see why you're doing what you're doing.
1: Yeah, that is one thing that I think is the same from when I learned JavaScript and when people are learning now, is that I had it recommended to me over and over again to pick a project and build something interesting. And I think that's still relevant today just from the standpoint of, okay, I have this outcome that I'm trying to work toward and I'm going to use the resources that I have, be it a class that I'm sitting through or a course I'm taking online or Stack Overflow or calling my friend up so that they can help me get through whatever it is that I need to get through in order to get the outcome I'm building toward.
2: I know a little bit ago, before we started, Jameis and I we were talking, and I wonder, as you're more advanced, if when you're reading these things, you can pick them up more quickly, not just because you have experience learning things, but because you already have context that maybe you forget you've you've gotten.
0: When you say you're reading these things, what do you mean? Like, what kind of things?
2: Like, you were talking about, like, reading, like, a new generator spec or something like that. Oh, sure. You have an understanding of, like... a a time in the past where you've needed something like this?
0: <laughs> when you say spec, I, I think you uh, <laughs> overestimate the, the extent of my learning capabilities. I do not read the spec to learn new things. I wait for someone smarter than me to read the spec and then write an understandable blog post. I, I think that gets back to the thing you were talking about with context, which is... It's just way easier. Like, I, when generators came out, I had been writing callback code in Node.js for years. And so it was pretty clear when the way I came to them was as a way of writing better asynchronous code that you can use them for a lot of other stuff. But, but it was really clear like, oh, this will make my life better in this one particular way. So I had a concrete motivation for why I wanted to learn them and understand them. And that helped a lot. I I had also seen stuff like there are things kind of like generators in other languages, like Python. I'm not a Python programmer, but I I think I've I've just Googled enough to see something that kind of looks like that. It was easier because of that context, but it was also easier because I had just the context of knowing JavaScript in general. Like if someone is new to programming or new to JavaScript and they're trying to learn generators, I think it's a lot harder because like, there's all this example code, right? And all the example code is supposed to be really easy to understand except the generator part and the example code illustrates how generators work. But if you don't understand the, the air quotes easy part of the example code because it's all new to you, then it's easy to get distracted by that stuff. Does that make sense?
2: In your opinion, are there like certain prerequisites before you learn a framework or before you learn some of the new ES6 features?
0: That is a good question. I was about to say yes, but then I I was like, wait, I'm just saying yes because that's how I did it. (laughs) That's how you have to do it.
2: ES6
0: came out after I already knew JavaScript, so of course I learned all that stuff after I learned JavaScript. But It's such an
1: easy bias to fall into, though, right? It's, oh, well, my thought process goes immediately to how I did it or
0: how I do it or how I think about it. Yeah, that's my point. I guess, I mean, prototypes are a huge hangup for a lot of people. And like the class stuff, I think is still built on prototypes, but it kind of hides them from you. So maybe that's an example of where maybe there are people that, that just don't need to learn prototypes ever or quite so early. And, and that's maybe one way that the path to learning it could actually be simplified by new features in the language. So maybe I mean I think to understand generators, you probably want to understand promises. There's definitely a path, and to understand why they're helpful, it can I think it it's helpful to understand callbacks for asynchronous stuff. So I think there is kind of a path to that specific thing, but I don't think that applies to every feature or every framework or tool or whatever.
2: I might be able to like I don't know answer my own question a little bit here too. Please like, too. I, <laughs> I get this question a lot as well, and speaking to newer developers, I feel like a lot of them are in a big hurry, and I don't know, again, I'm speaking from my personal experience, but I would say not to rush the process, because, I don't know, I just feel like if you're rushing, like, you might miss important things, and if you're just, like, in it to hurry up and get a job, like, you know, make sure you're not just like in it because you need to like pay bills and get a job that you're really enjoying what you're doing and in learning the l- enjoying the process of learning because this field is all about that.
1: Yeah. But does that answer the question of should you use a, f- learn a framework or not first?
2: Yeah. So I, my answer to that is, I don't know. I do feel like it's important to understand some basics before you start with the framework. Like when I was trying to learn rails, That was the same question, like, do I learn Ruby or do I learn Rails? And I don't know. The people who gave me advice said, like, learn Ruby first. Don't worry about Rails yet.
0: I think that's a very personal thing, though. I think some people are much more driven by seeing stuff on their screen and and just, like, getting stuff done. And they're more comfortable with some magic that they don't understand going on. So those people, they'll just like dive into Rails and type Rails new, and and then just like make stuff happen and have no idea what's going on, and they'll they'll learn the framework by building stuff with it instead of learning all the building blocks towards it. Uh,
2: yeah, you're totally totally right.
1: <laughs> well, in my experience, I mean, when I when I was learning Ruby on Rails and Ruby, I learned Rails first. Uh, I I was building stuff in Rails, and then I started to learn oh well, this particular feature in Rails is an outgrowth of this functionality in Ruby. And that's kind of the way that I came around to it. JavaScript was a little bit different for me because, as I said before, I was mostly focused on building web applications and I had kind of hodgepodge learned all kinds of different stuff about JavaScript by the time I got around to using a framework in it. But You know, so I I kind of understood certain aspects of JavaScript before I learned a framework. That being said, I don't know if one is necessarily better than the other. I think some people have to know how all of the little pieces work and how they all fit together, and those people are going to want to learn the language first and then the framework next. And then there are other people that, as Jameson said, they want to see something on the screen. They want to have that to-do app up there, and then they can learn as they go as they change things in it. And those people are probably better off learning the framework and kind of getting the reward. I call it a success fix because, I mean, that's what it was for me, is I had something working. I had something running. I had something that uh, I could show off. And my reward was, oh, it works. And then, then you know, and then I move on to something else. And then I'd come back and I'd change it to something else that was a little bit more helpful, functional, or interesting and move ahead from there. And, yeah. And so you know, in those cases, then I was googling the web and you know, trolling, uh, not trolling, but lurking on mailing lists and things like that.
0: Trolling is in like the fishing trolling, not yes, the, yes. You should go die trolling. Yeah, yes. And I don't, I don't think you would do that other kind of trolling, Chuck. <laughs> I can't, can't quite see it.
1: Nope. not in my personality. But you know, that that was the way that I approached it. And so everything that I learned about Ruby and everything that I learned about Rails was to a large extent for me to be able to achieve that next thing.
0: And I also think it's fair to say that those approaches have different trade-offs. I'm very much the, I have to, I I want to know how every underlying thing works. And sometimes that's cool because I'll just run into some weird thing that some people don't understand and I, I can learn it. And sometimes it makes it really hard to learn new things because I just do a depth first search of the language. And then I get down to some like nitty gritty, totally esoteric corner case that has no bearing on my ability to get stuff done. But I like, like, what does this line do? What does this line do? What does this line do? And keep like diving down the stack trace until I end up somewhere that's not super useful. So Jameson reads byte codes. Just so you (laughs) know, yeah, that's how I end up in weird places on Wikipedia, when I just like follow links instead of trying to learn the things that I'm capable of learning right now and recognizing that understanding will come over time, I guess. The,
1: yep. thing, the thing that I find that's interesting, though, is that there are a lot of courses that are also tailored around that. And so some of the courses start you at basic Ruby and then build you up to, to where you're building a Rails app. And others of them, they're like, look, a lot of this is magic and we'll get to it later. And they start at the top with rails and work their way down. And it's just its just interesting the different approaches that people take.
0: It reminds me of learning math in school. Like they always start with the thing beneath the abstraction. Like when you mm-hmm. learn calculus, they'll make you do it the slow, crappy way that no one does it. And yeah, then, with summations. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then they're like, now that you know how it works, here's how you actually do yeah, it. Here's and how you do a derivative. Yep. Yeah, it's like building up from principles, which... I don't know that that motivates me that that much in calculus. It's funny that it motivates me that way in in programming.
1: Yeah. And I have to say that in calculus, I didn't even get why we were doing what we were doing until after I had mastered the top level concept that they were trying to build us up to. Yeah. And then it was like, it was like, Oh, Oh, that's what they were doing. Oh, that all makes sense. Now. Yeah. It was just that it was poorly explained. This is just a natural extension of this other thing.
0: Yeah, it's like the context thing Amy was talking
1: about.
2: Yep. Yeah, like, you know, when I was in college, I did not pay that much attention to like my math courses. And now, as a developer, I'm, like, actually really interested in going back and taking some of them because I feel like I have the context to know why certain things were important.
1: Well, and sure. that's, that's the difference, too, between the new people and the experienced people. And I think this is something that you've been driving at, Amy, is that As experienced people, we kind of can immediately, without even really knowing why, we can drive to the center of something and go, yeah, this is the core of what's important. And these other things are interesting details that may or may not be interesting, depending on what problem I'm solving. And with with newer people, they don't have the experience to necessarily recognize those patterns yet.
0: Again, though, I think that can cut both ways. I've seen, and this has happened to me personally too, I've seen people who are experienced who they see something that kind of looks like a thing they have they had experience with before and they hated the thing they used before so they see this new thing and they're like oh it sucks because it reminds me of this this old thing <laughs> that I that I hated when I mean when react first came out everyone hated the JSX syntax because it reminded them of XML and then people had bad associations with XML and java and there's just this collective shudder and then the same thing with like on-click handlers in, in React components or in Angular or something. It reminds people of the battle days of uh, just sticking those in your HTML in the web. And because of those associations of the experience people had, it took them, I think for some people, it took them longer to recognize, no, this is actually different. It's better because of, of these reasons, because experience led them to have this knee-jerk reaction. So experience can help you evaluate things, but it can also make it harder because you you can, like you said, Chuck, you, you can look at something and, and see this is the core of it. This is what's important. But you can also be wrong when you're doing that. And you say the core of React is this weird XML syntax that I hate. So React sucks. And then you, you miss something that's cool. Or that, I mean, that same thing applies to every tool or framework.
1: That's true. I think one other example is when I moved uh, from Ruby to doing a little bit more JavaScript. I expected prototypes to act more or less like classes and they more or less don't they they kind of do in some ways but the differences were nuanced enough to where it really threw me for a loop when it wasn't what i expected it to be
0: yeah cuz you you learned the to me insane ruby class system <laughs> cuz i don't understand it that well but it just looks byzantine and complex and and frightening but that was like comfortable to you so prototypes you expected to work like that is that kind of what you're saying
1: yeah And so it it definitely sometimes, you know, experience is a curse just in the sense of you continue to beat your head against the wall, trying to make it fit your expectations instead of realizing that it's not going to fit your expectations because it's really different.
0: Yeah, it's it's like you hear this kind of tired startup mythology sometimes about how well, back when we first started this company, we didn't know what was impossible. And so we did it. Whereas if we knew everything we knew today, and maybe we would have never started it, that gets trotted out a lot. But I think it does apply to programming stuff too. Sometimes not knowing, uh, sometimes having fresh eyes can be a benefit, I guess. And you can get those fresh eyes through either just not having experience, or you can also put yourself in that place as an experienced developer, which seems like a good way to approach things, I guess. Yeah.
2: So another question I have for you guys is, because you're more experienced, how do you choose what you want to learn? Do you just base it off of what you're really interested in? Do you pull job numbers and and try to see, or maybe just advice to other people, like trying to get a job? What would you say should be their criteria for what they learn?
0: I'll let Jameson go first on this. (laughs) Listen, I'm an early adopter. I had a Lincoln Park CD before all (laughs) my friends growing up in middle school, so... Uh, that's the that ultimate example right there the lincoln park yeah CD. that's that's my resume
2: i guess like okay so then building on that question like i've heard multiple people say do not learn elm as a newer developer would you and you're a big fan of elm so what is your take on that
0: i say learn what you're interested in cool elm is is a fine thing to learn as a new developer. You would then probably eventually come to learn JavaScript and like pull your hair out at the complexities in the language because Elm is pretty ruthless about eliminating those. <laughs> um, but I don't, I don't think that's a bad thing.
1: I can no longer bite my tongue because <laughs> 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 this oh. is a conversation that I have with people a lot, right? Where they go to a boot camp to learn Ruby, for example, and then they're saying, "Well, I looked at all these numbers and it looks like." Uh, the percentage of programmers out there doing Ruby is declining and the percentage of programmers out there doing JavaScript is growing. And it's like, okay, so relative to each other, JavaScript is becoming more, more popular more quickly than Ruby is what I'm reading into it. But the ultimate truth is, is that if I go look in the Ruby community, I'll find, I find that that community is growing as well. It's just relative to the number of programmers coming into the field, not as many of them are picking Ruby as the technology stack that they're going to work in. And they're like, but I really like Ruby, and there's some things about JavaScript I can't stand. And then there are others, you know, that are obviously saying the the other thing. You know, it's like, JavaScript's just so fascinating. Why would anyone learn anything else? And I want to echo what Jameson said and just, you know, learn what you're interested in. Because with most of these technologies, especially if they ever have been, popular, there's plenty of work out there. And so if your primary concern is, can I get a job doing this? The answer is probably. So then what it comes down to is, well, what's the next most important thing to you? And in a lot of cases, that's this technology makes me happy. In other cases, it's I want to work on these kinds of social causes, or I want to work on some of these other areas of concern. And because of that, you want to pick your technology, your Pick whatever it is you're going to go into based on whatever those fulfillment factors are for you. So if Ruby makes you happy, then do Ruby. If JavaScript makes you happy, do JavaScript. If Erlang makes you happy, do Erlang. If Haskell's it, do Haskell. Lisp, whatever. You know, some of these languages, I don't know very many companies that use Lisp in production, but there are a lot of them that use Clojure. And if you you want something close, I mean, Clojure is close and interesting. So you have all of these options. So yeah, would you tell people to learn Elm? Well, if that's what they wanted to do, I agree with Jameson. Yeah, go learn Elm because there are companies out there using it and there's plenty of work out there for people who understand the way that Elm works. Anyway, there's my
0: rant. You said one thing there that was uh, learn what you're interested in. And I think that's a good way to do it if you have enough of a context to have an interest. But especially for people that are brand new to programming, they, they just know that they're interested in the Field or just programming in general, but they don't, from what I've seen, they don't really have the context to say, I'm interested in Ruby. That's because they don't know what makes Ruby different from everything else.
1: That's fair. But I think a lot of times too, we tend to forget that programmers are also people. So Ruby or programming in general, is isn't the only thing I'm interested in. You know, I really enjoy soccer. I really enjoy coaching. I really enjoy having this impact on other people where they are able to make their lives better in some way or make the world better in some way. In fact, I feel very strongly that a lot of the ways that our world has evolved over the last 10 to 15 years have been directly driven by technology. That could be because we're more connected over social networks. It could be because we all have Uh, phones in our pockets that can permit us to do all kinds of things. Same with tablets. I think there are a lot of things that go into what makes this world the way it is that derive directly from the way that we build code, whether it's our idea or somebody else's idea. So it doesn't necessarily even have to be a technology. You know, If you've been working in the financial industry for 20 years and you want to disrupt that and you have some idea to do it, then learn how to build it. If you're looking at something else where you feel like if people could do a particular function for themselves on their phone, then go out and build it. Uh, there are so many interesting and just amazing technologies. Uh, one of them that I'll just bring up, and this this kind of comes down to something that I really care about and is core to why I do the podcasts, and that that is that we can ultimately shape our world. We had an episode that we did on iFreaks with Scott Hanselman, and we talked to Scott and I don't know if you know this but Scott's a type 1 diabetic and we had a long talk about basically systems that and he's built and experimented with several that allow a diabetic to control their insulin intake and some of these systems get fairly close to making it automatic you know obviously you still have to monitor it and things and and we talked about you know the shortfalls and everything like that but I mean can you imagine if you were able to on a Raspberry Pi or somebody's phone, make it so that they could live their life without ever having to worry about sticking a needle in themselves again or, you know, only having to maintain the system but not actually have to give themselves a shot or play with their pump every few minutes. I mean, you know, there are so many ways that we can make a difference here. And so if you can't decide, oh, JavaScript or Ruby or Python or whatever then go find where the motion is where you do care about and then figure out what technology they're using and learn that. For the people that you know, aren't going to gravitate to a particular technology and aren't just looking to get a job in programming because it's lucrative, and, and that's a totally valid and fine reason for doing this, go find that other thing that you care about and do that.
0: i two things. The first thing is you feel like you don't have the context to decide what, thing is, what technology is inherently interesting to you. I think a really good way to pick is the community because you're going to be interacting with them a ton. like You're going to have questions. And a good community that answers questions well and is encouraging can make the difference between continuing or giving up. So I'd actually say that might be one of the most important things is how friendly and open and welcoming is the community. That's
1: true. I'll also add that some, com- some communities have a stronger component of people willing to help new people than others. So you may also want to look at that aspect of the community.
0: Yep. The other thing is, I want to make sure we're answering Amy's actual question. So we kind of got into the topic of how do you decide what to learn at the very beginning when you're first learning how to program? Is that the question you're asking, Amy? Or did you mean more like, how do you pick what to learn next?
2: So at the beginning, but then too, I'm also interested to know, yeah, like as you advance, how do you pick? Do you still let what interests you drive it? Do you feel obligated to spend some time outside of work? Like, say you get a new job as an older developer, someone more experienced, like, or what's coming out in ES6, ES7? Like, is there a responsibility on your part to take some time outside of your 40 hours a week to learn some of that? And if so, how do you approach that?
0: That is a great question. (laughs) So you said, is there a responsibility? And I don't I Honestly, I don't think there is. I think lots of people could be content to just learn on the job and learn in the work that they do. And if there's a new project at work, then they learn the new thing. Um, otherwise, they just keep using the old thing or not old thing, the thing that they're currently using. Uh, and that's totally fine. Sometimes I think we, we talk a lot about passion and fail to recognize that to some people this is a job. And then they go home and live their life. But if you are really into it and want to do it outside of work, that can benefit you greatly. I just don't think you should have to feel like you need to do that to work as a programmer. Amy, you talked about people looking at Google Trends and I don't know anyone in real life that does that. I only (laughs) see that come up in blog posts.
2: I know. I feel like it is just in blog posts. Like you should learn this because say this.
0: You find the trend that supports your blog post and then you write a blog post about how popular that thing is. And that's, yeah, I I don't know. It just seems like such a cold mechanical way to dictate (laughs) what you're going to do with your life.
2: It's because we're programmers and we need numbers to make Yeah,
0: that's true. Uh, The other thing (laughs) is, is that... You know, there are a lot
1: of people, too, that have other things that kind of drive what they're living for and what they're doing. Um, I found this a lot with the remote conferences. There were a lot of people that have emailed me over the last year and have said, I really appreciate the remote conferences because I can't travel. And, you, you know, that's something that I sort of just took for granted But because I can travel. But they have life circumstances with a significant other or a parent or a child that they can't leave at home with somebody else and they have to take care of them. And so in a lot of cases, you know, are they obligated to keep up even though they have all of these other responsibilities at home that, you know, other people don't? And the answer is obviously no. So I think really it just comes down to what people want to get out of their programming. And if it's a paycheck, then it's a paycheck. And if it's, hey, I, I really want to understand these other things, then, yeah, go learn it. And if it if it hits your passion, then great. And if not, then go do what you're passionate about in your spare time. And that can be anything you want it to be.
0: So we, we talked about the first part a little bit about kind of what's your obligation as a developer to keep up. And I feel like Chuck and I both kind of fell on the same page. But I want to hear what you have to say about that, Amy. And then maybe we can talk about the second part, about how do you figure out what to learn next as a, an experienced developer?
2: Um, So, like, for me, as somebody coming in, I do feel like maybe I'm comfortable saying this because I do enjoy doing it a little bit on my own. Maybe a little bit is an understatement, but you're, <laughs> I you're do pretty enjoy you fanatical
0: it. about it, I'll say <laughs> I think that's not an understatement.
2: (laughs) Like, I do enjoy digging into this stuff on my own. So maybe that, you know, biases me into being comfortable with saying this, but like, I do feel like it's your responsibility to do some stuff out of work. I think I also say that because when you're junior and you're getting a job, you have nothing to prove. People are like gambling on you. So I don't know. It's my personality, but. I also feel like a sense of obligation to take some time on my own to dig into whatever, like, is being whatever technologies are used at, you know, my job. So, yeah, I do feel there's an obligation. Maybe that obligation goes away as you get more advanced, in my opinion, again. Maybe that's not the case at all, but
1: that's interesting. So, (laughs) I definitely agree in some ways with you, Amy. In the first place, basically, if you're new and somebody's taking a chance on you, I don't know that that obligates you necessarily to spend the extra time. But if that's what you have to do in order to be able to do your job, then I think that's what obligates you because they are paying you to provide them with a certain outcome. And if you can't provide them with that certain outcome, then you're not being fair to them as an employer.
2: Yep. yep. Yeah. Uh, so maybe that maybe that's more the like the gist of it. Yeah.
1: But the other part of it is that, you know, if you're not doing it and you're able to do your job without putting in the extra work, then I think the next thing you have to consider is that there are trade offs. I mean, people want people with a certain level of experience and they want people that have a certain, I mean, if, if I have the option of hiring the passionate person or the not passionate person, I'm going to hire the passionate person and there's just no way around it. So if you're not excited about coding, and you're not consistently you know, pushing yourself to learn, and I see somebody else who is doing that, then I'm probably going to hire them, even if they aren't at the level that you are. So there's a certain trade-off to it as well. And I think as long as people recognize that and they're okay with it, then you know, some people are just going to do the bare minimum to keep their 9-to-5, and some people aren't, and some people are going to be excited about it. And, sure. and, and that's a trade-off that people have to understand is there. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with Amy on the point of if I'm paying you to do X, Y, and Z and I know that you can do X and Y, and I'm counting on you to get to the point where you can do Z in a reasonable amount of time, then you should be doing whatever you have to in order to get to the point where you can do Z.
0: Sure. Um, I want to talk about the second part of Amy's question, which is how do you decide what to learn next, given that you already have kind of a base of knowledge. And I was thinking about this, and I think there are I think I have two kind of axes that I evaluate stuff on. I've never really defined it as formally, but thinking about it, this I see this in common with all the tech I've learned. One is, does it have something interesting to teach me technically? Like, am I excited about the stuff that I can learn by learning this thing? And then the other one is, I don't do the Google Trends thing at all. I don't formally evaluate stuff, but I am attracted to things that are new, but I but that I think have the potential to become popular. So I have a little bit of a hipster, like there's a tiny man in suspenders and a beard hiding on my shoulder. <laughs> it's like, pick the thing that's cool that no one else is using. And, I, and to some extent, I do follow that a little bit. But I, I usually pick things that even if they're cool and no one else is using, that hopefully someone will be using them someday in the future. So instead of like, I don't know, Malbolge or some random esoteric programming language, like Elm is super hipster, super new, not that many people are using it. But I think it has potential to become much more widely used. And it's also interesting to me technically. And fun is basically like the combination of those two things for me. Fun isn't like a separate thing that I evaluated on. It's fun if it's interesting technically. And I think it's like new but has the potential to grow.
1: Yeah. And see, for me, I, I definitely get you on the part of what am I going to learn from this? Like, how how is this going to challenge me? How is this going to push me and make me grow? How am I going to benefit from knowing this, not even necessarily from the standpoint of can I get a better job or can I get further down the road in my career, but even just, you know, how does this expand my mind? Uh, Am I going to enjoy learning the lessons it has to teach me? And that's a lot in common with what you were talking about, Jameson. The other part of it for me, though, is what can I do with this? I really like outcomes and I really like winning And so if I can learn a technology, say some mobile technology like NativeScript or React Native or Swift, and then it's now I can build cool mobile apps or, you know, whether it's Angular and then I can build single page apps or I can build better web enabled apps or this could make my website five times faster. And that would be way cool, you know, so I have this outcome that I can get from it that, I kind of aspire to that also drives me in the technology that I learn. But I have almost never learned a technology where I learned it thinking, yeah, this is going to help me get my next job.
0: Yeah, I haven't either. I've I've been lucky enough that the things that I've picked to learn have turned out to be helpful for for getting a job or using in work, but I haven't picked stuff because of the future earning potential that directly. Like I feel like if it's something I'm interested in and it teaches me stuff, then the earning potential kind of comes from that. Amy, I feel like you discount your experience a lot. Like you always preface everything with, oh, I'm so new. Like you're not that new. You've been programming for years now. So I think you have interesting stuff to say about this too. How do you pick interesting stuff to learn next?
2: So I am a little bit like you, like you say, I really like to deep dive into things. And I'm always just, maybe it's because I'm like, Traditional in the sense that like I really enjoy education and things like that. Like I'm always just really interested in trying to dig into like computer science concepts or looking at RFCs. Like yes, a lot of times I'll read them and there's a lot of stuff that like I could just go down a huge rabbit hole, but. James and I, I know we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but there's people who kind of like to just play around with things and actually like just write tons of code. And then for me, I'm like someone who kind of likes to read and explore and and do that. So that's what drives me. And then, too, I feel like it's not like a pressure from anyone else, but it's like a personal pressure. And maybe pressure isn't even the right word, but... Like, the more I dig into things, the more I've been realizing, like, since I've focused so much on JavaScript and, you know, Ruby for a while, like, there are so many aspects of programming that, like, I haven't experienced yet. And so I'm just, like, at the point where I still really, really enjoy JavaScript, but I'm really interested in, like, digging into other programming languages whether it be just like Elm for now to explore more functional concepts. But I don't know. There's like, like a lot of concepts in Go that I've really been interested in lately. So I don't know. That's where I am.
0: Cool. I, th- I think that makes a lot of sense. It turns out we've had some like broad themes it seems like we agree on, but we all also seem to have some nuances that fit our personalities. So again, there's not really a one size fits all answer. It depends a lot on your personal style. Unless you're all doing it wrong. Yeah, that's true. Unless your personal style is different from mine in which you are just suffering. Yeah, but
1: I think, that, I think that goes back again to the discussion we had before where my experience colors the way that I you know, advise other people to do this. And I think in a lot of ways, yeah, I think there is some introspection that has to happen so that people can figure out what is going to do this for them. You know, which technologies are going to you know challenge you if that's what you're looking for or allow you to pursue the outcomes that you want if that's what you're looking for or whether or not it pushes you whatever direction you want to go you know whatever it is that that makes you work i don't know how you figure that out maybe the two of you have some ideas there but yeah and and i also think that with some of this comes some experience as well where you try a few things and you're like yeah, that didn't inspire me. And then you try something else and that didn't inspire me. You try somebody else, something else. And then you're like, oh, this really inspired me. And then you can start to figure out this inspired me because I felt like I could do it. Or I felt like I was learning or I felt like I was, you know, progressing in this way or that way, or, you know, whatever it is that makes you tick. And so Even then, I mean, if you just have no context whatsoever for what to learn next, try a few things and then see which of them kind of click. Uh, You can also talk to other people and get some ideas from them, too. I tried these three things. Well, those are all have this in common. Why don't you try this that doesn't have that particular aspect to it and see if that kind of is what your thing is?
0: I think that's a good point you made, Chuck, about you might bounce off of stuff. This happens to me a lot. I probably try like large things like languages or technologies before I find one that really sticks. So I I dip in a little bit to a lot of things and then find one that sticks. And I don't think you have to just like pick one thing and force yourself if you're not enjoying it. Yeah, so I appreciate you saying that.
2: Yeah, there's, I was going to add to that too, as Chuck was saying that, there's definitely like a fine line there. I feel like this, especially from newer developers, like friends that I talk to and stuff, at some point you have to like put some blinders on and say like, no, I am going to buckle down and only do this for a couple months and the other stuff can wait. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, otherwise you just like, get everything at a surface level. And you there's like so much you miss out by not digging deeper into things.
0: Sure. So we've been really kind of abstract and high level here. And it feels like this is kind of drawing to a close. And I I think it'd be cool if we all went out on a limb and suggested one concrete thing that people should look at. And this isn't like you have to learn this you're not cool, but just one thing (laughs) from each of us that we think we would recommend someone else to check out. Does that sound okay? Sounds good to me. Okay. No. Okay, I'll just hang up then. (laughs) (laughs) I suggested this, but I don't have a thing. Does anyone else (laughs) have... I need to think for a second. Does anyone else have something they want to share first? I have a thing. Okay.
2: So, again, this goes back to like my experience and what I enjoy, but because I like to do things more like Foundation First, the book series by Kyle Simpson, You Don't Know JS, like... I just think that that is prerequisite to maybe you don't read every single book front to back, but I would at least start with like the first three or four. And I I do feel like that is a prerequisite that you complete those before you try to find a job or try to really start like digging into a framework more than just like a Hello World tutorial.
1: We're also talking to Kyle next week, so it's a good idea for that too. So you have to say that.
2: And he did not send me anything to say that. um, (laughs) Like, those books are amazing.
1: Yeah, I will tell you that if you're picking technologies, I tend to also like to pick technologies that look a little bit strange to me. Like, why would anybody ever do that? And then you start to learn more about it. I also like the technologies that tend to have a wider range of use. And so, I mean, for this show, some of the tools that I've looked into after checking them out are, for example, uh, Gulp. I'm not an expert in Gulp by any means, but I have fiddled with it quite a bit. And, I mean, just from coming to a tool that, you know, it looks at least on the surface similar to Rake, which is a tool that I use in Ruby. You know, just learning the nuances and differences in the way that they think about those problems has been very fascinating. And then another one that I haven't looked into as much, but I have been looking into some that just seems like a really messy and overloaded system that, you know, as I got into it, I'm like, okay, I can kind of see why they do some of these things, is Webpack. And so if you're picking specific technologies to look into, and this being a JavaScript show, go dig into those and see where the limits are. And just, you know, try and understand where people are coming from and why they would put together a tool like that. Cause people who put those things together generally have a problem they're trying to solve. And even if they don't articulate well, what that problem is, if you get in there, you can really start to get glimpses of what's there and why you're picking them. So anyway, if, if I could pick two technologies in JavaScript that you ought to go dig into and figure out,
0: try some of those. Okay. Uh, I feel bad because mine isn't JavaScript related now. No, it's um, <laughs> So I, I've, should they pick a non-JavaScript one? No, you can. There were no constraints. You could pick like the Greek alphabet. So
1: there's a, <laughs> there's a book that I'm going to recommend. Then, sorry to cut you off, Jameson. Oh, no, sure. Go pick up the Little Schemer, and then go do some programming in Scheme if you want to brain bend. That one's fun.
0: Cool. So uh, my career has been kind of split evenly between front end and back end, and I feel like most of the back end stuff I've learned has been through the oral tradition, just knowledge passed on from the elders. By by word of mouth, but never any like real intense study on how to, on the right way to do stuff. It's all kind of just fumbling around in the dark and, and asking people that are smarter than I am what to do. And uh, there's this book called "Designing Data Intensive Applications," which is a pretty boring <laughs> title, <laughs> but it's maybe one of the best technical books I've ever read because it dives really deep into like how databases work. At the systems level, like here are the system calls they make. Here is the block structure on disk that they use. Here's the, the architectural pattern of this one NoSQL database compared to this other SQL database and why they have these different trade-offs. And so it kind of starts at the very low systems level and works its way up through distributed systems and different like consistency and correctness trade-offs you can make. And it's just like an eye-opening look at what goes into building these really high-performance uh, back-end systems. And I don't, I don't work at the scale where this stuff is required, honestly. This is for, like, Google-type scale. A lot of this stuff is where these trade-offs become really important. But it was just so eye-opening to see the why behind the how of a lot of technologies. And, uh, yeah, so, so that expanded my brain in a pretty big way, designing data-intensive applications. That's my, my recommendation for a technology-related thing to look at
2: also on my list of things to do. It's so good. It sounds awesome.
0: It's really well written. The The guy who wrote it, I think he was one of the developers of Kafka. He's got some affiliation with it, I think. You don't okay. know DBs. Yeah.
1: yeah. Cool. <laughs> All right, well, with that, should we get to picks?
2: Sounds sure. good to me.
0: All right, Jameson, what are your picks? I have, oh, uh, let's call them four. So my first pick is a blog post called Accidentally Non-Blocking. And this is another, this is kind of a low-level, like, systems-level blog post. I don't know a ton about this stuff. And it's so far below the abstraction layers that I normally work that I, I think it's interesting to read this stuff. It's about just this detailed, it's kind of like a detective story into how this one chunk of a program works. I love these kind of technical write-ups. Uh, it's about this person using this really kind of intense systems tool to inspect what their program is doing. And this one quote is pretty rad, so I'm gonna read it. I really like using Ktrace to inspect programs. It's somewhat primitive to be sure, but unlike source review, it can be difficult to to understand the programmer's intentions. However, my CPU doesn't execute intentions, it executes instructions. So it's just like using this thing to figure out what the CPU is doing when it runs this program. It's, it's a cool read. My other pick is a framework called chew it's by this guy i met at web rebels last week called i think his name is yashua and it's basically a port of the elm architecture to javascript and this has been done in other ways but this is kind of a much more direct port of it than things like redux which are pretty inspired by it but not like a one-to-one port of it so it, this is a cool experiment to see how you can take cool ideas from elm and apply them to javascript um and then my Third pick is just the Web Rebels Conference. It's a JavaScript and kind of web development related conference in Oslo. And I was there last week and it was amazing. It had such good talks, like some of the best talks I've ever seen. Uh, One of my favorites was by a woman named Mariko Kosaka. And she talked about the history of typography and used it as a lens to look at the history of computing. It turns out a ton of stuff in computing happened because people were trying to figure out how to make fonts render well on computers. That might have been my favorite talk I've ever seen. It was really good. And then my last pick is just a toot my own horn pick, React Rally. It's a conference about React in Salt Lake City in August. We have our speaker lineup announced and I'm really excited for them. I'm genuinely excited for every single talk. If you Google React Rally or go to reactrally.com, you'll see the, the lineup and be able to buy tickets. I'd love to see you there. Those are my picks.
1: Awesome. Amy, what are your picks?
2: I have two. It's been a while since I had like a new bar that I was excited about. So that's my first pick. They're made in Tennessee, so because I'm from the south, they're like especially awesome. Uh but they're called Grab the Gold and they taste really, really, really good. So oh,
0: you mean food bar? Okay.
2: Yeah, yeah, not, not bar like that Got kind it. of bar. <laughs> uh, how could now. I do that when I'm such a health nut? Uh <laughs> and, Oh, these are so good. I always say that every time, but these are really good. Anyways, programming pick. So it was like kind of reaching through all of these different things that I have in my list. And this one felt really fitting for today. But it is a GitHub repo by Rockbot. It's called Node for Beginners. And I think, like, one cool thing that sets this one apart from a lot of the other um, repos that are just, like, you know, here are a million tutorials, she has this one. Um, there's a column there that ranks it by level difficulty, So I think this would be valuable because a lot of times I feel like I'll invest, you know, a night or something starting a book and be like, oh, this is like, you know, either way too deep or this is like way not deep enough. So maybe that will be valuable for someone. And that is it for me.
1: All right. I've got a couple of picks. The first one is a book. It is by Rory Vaden. It's called Procrastinate on Purpose. and uh, it's I like it already. It's all about prioritization and doing the, the right things at the right times. A lot of people ask me regarding freelancing and entrepreneurship about balance. And he basically calls out balance is a myth. And then he talks about why. And he has a really great metaphor for how you take time from one bucket and put it in another. And anyway, it's, it's super good so far. I'm not finished with it yet, but I am really enjoying it. And I've heard a couple of interviews that he's done on podcasts. And they have been terrific. So, yeah, so I'm definitely going to pick it. And, yeah, the idea behind it in a lot of cases is that you put some things off so that you can take care of what's important now, and then you can reprioritize, and you know, then you put some things off in that area of life to prioritize another area of life. Anyway, I really, really have liked the book. I'm also going to pick a couple of self-serving picks. Uh, If you're a new person, uh, Newbies Remote Conf, like I said before, coming up in July, July 13th through 15th. I'm also writing a book on how to find a programming job. It's called Get a Coder Job, and you can find that at getacoderjob.com. I'm actually putting together a webinar series where I talk about a lot of the content in the book, but it's going to be personalized. And I'm also going to be doing some, I don't know what to call them, I guess they're live coaching sessions where I'll have some people who are trying to find their first programming job come in, and I will coach them in front of everybody else who's on the call. But I'm hoping that they'll ask some of the questions that a lot of other folks have and that a lot of the advice that I give will be uh, directly related to where people are at. So if any of that interests you, you can go to getacoderjob.com, and you can actually uh, sign up for that. The seats are going to be fairly limited. I don't want a huge group. I'm looking at like 20 or 30 people. And 10 of those are going to be people who apply for the one-on-one coaching. So I'm not sure when this goes out relative to when the deadline is for the those applications. So uh, if you miss the applications, then just go ahead and buy a ticket. But yeah, it's going to be fairly limited numbers just so that I can make sure that I can serve everybody who shows up. But anyway, uh, if you're interested in, in either of those, then uh, definitely go check those out. And uh, yeah, those are my picks. And uh, I'm also thinking about whether or not I can go to React Rally, so uh, check that out too. Uh, i
2: be
1: there. Yay! We'll have to have a JavaScript Jabber party. Yeah, I'll glorious. Wish. Yep. All right, well, let's go ahead and wrap this one up. Thank you both for all of your input. I think this was a really interesting discussion. We'll catch everyone next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you wish you could be part of the discussion on JavaScript Jabber? Do you have a burning question for one of our guests? Now you can join the action at our membership forum. You can sign up at javascriptjabber.com slash jabber, and there you can join discussions with the regular panelists and our guests.